but we had hoped. Every one of us has known disappointment in our lives. For those of us of a footballing persuasion, but we had hoped that at one all and two all yesterday afternoon, <laughs> Forests were going to pull out of the bag an extraordinary result away to Liverpool. Sadly, it was not to be. But on a much more serious level, I doubt that there is a single one of us here this morning who would, hand on heart, say that we have not, at some point in our lives, been subject to real and profound disappointment. Whether in our families, in our friends, in our work, in our health, in our finances, in the general stuff of life that has somehow not worked out the way that we had hoped it would. But we had hoped. The words of Cleopas and the other unnamed disciple to the mysterious third traveller they encounter on the road from Jerusalem to the tiny village of Emmaus on that Sunday, just under 2,000 years ago. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, Luke writes, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. But we had hoped. We feel in those words the anguish of these two disciples and of all those who had followed Jesus for the previous three years as he preached and taught and ministered and healed and raised from the dead throughout Palestine. All their hopes gone, all that they had given up for what? <coughs> all that they had believed, torn, it seemed, to shreds. When the third figure draws alongside and asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Their feelings are so profound that it appears they're unable to reply to the question whilst they continue on their way. But in Luke's words, stood still, their faces downcast, and only then are they able to respond with this cry of pain. But we had hope. Just under 20 of our church family during the recent, recent season of Lent journeyed together each week through the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book for 2023, Bishop Emma Einson's Failure, or to use its subtitle, What Jesus Said About Sin, Mistakes and Messing Stuff Up. Its fifth chapter is titled, The Greatest Failure of All by which Bishop Emma means Jesus' death on the cross. At the time, Cleopas and his fellow disciple 
were walking along the Emmaus Road, it certainly appeared as though Jesus, the man who had claimed to be the Son of God and God and done all of these extraordinary things in his three years of public ministry, that Jesus had come to the end of his road in the most humiliating and final way possible, through death by crucifixion. That he had, to use Bishop Emma's terminology, failed. And that the two disciples felt this to their very core. But whilst they don't yet realise who their companion is, we, the Gospels readers, know from what Luke has told us already that Jesus had not failed. But in fact, through the cross and his subsequent resurrection, completed the very mission that his father had sent him to do in conquering death and sin. And that in the height of irony, it is Christ, to Christ himself that the disciples are pouring out all of their woes and disappointments about their apparently dead leader as the three of them walk to Emmaus. Over this half term, our daughter and her classmates in foundation at Archbishop Cranmer School are learning all about space. Esther, I'm slightly surprised, but delighted to say, has developed something of an encyclopedic knowledge of our solar system. If you see her, ask her to tell you a few things. Because after the last few days, Claire and I have been treated to a steady stream of facts <laughs> about each of the planets. Did you know, Daddy, that Neptune is an ice giant? Mummy, Pluto's a dwarf planet. Daddy, if you tried to stand on Mercury, you'd float off into space. <laughs> All great facts. All backed up by the best scientific data and empirical observation from the finest astronomical and physical minds. What Cleopas and his companion recount to Jesus of the events that have happened over the three days since Jesus was crucified is a very factual account. It contains all sorts of precise details that even sceptical scholars agree would have been extremely unlikely to form the foundation myth of a religion that was being concocted by those wanting to justify its existence or to drum up support from new believers. Most importantly in this regard, it's <coughs> utterly improbable that the central witnesses to the fact that Jesus' tomb was empty were individuals whose word was legally inadmissible as evidence at that time. Because in Greco-Roman and Jewish societies, women were not um, permitted to, uh, to act as, uh, as uh, givers of evidence in a, in a legal situation at all. To have women as a witness was to have wit no witness at all. Which means, of course, that to have women as the very first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection as the Gospels record, makes it far more likely that they actually were, that these are the facts. 
What's more, these are the actual events that Jesus himself lived. But he doesn't turn to the two disciples and say, don't you recognise me? It's me, Jesus. Of course it all happened like that. Rather, he turns to the very beginning of the Bible and explains to them how all the scriptures have been fulfilled in this one man. How everything that was written in them could only make sense as a series of events leading up to that man. And how the life of this one who fulfilled such scriptural witness, him of course, not that they know it yet, can only make sense as the fulfilment of that witness. It's in this light that we read our psalm this morning as well, moving from anguish and distress and sorrow to grace, righteousness and compassion. For the Lord has been good to you, as the psalmist writes. Up to this point of Jesus' encounter with the two, you can almost cut the irony with a knife. We, the reader, know that the one in whom these disciples' hope have been placed, the account of whose death and mysterious burial circumstances they have just recounted, and whose place at the heart of the scriptures has just been set out by the mysterious fellow traveller, is, in fact, that traveller himself. Jesus, we can imagine, must have been both exasperated by the pair's inability to recognise him, but also not yet ready to reveal himself to them. Once again, I feel the whole episode hinges on a very brief turn of phrase. The evening is closing in and the disciples are pausing in Emmaus, with Jesus heading on beyond. But the pair urged him strongly, as Luke puts it, stay with us. Stay with us. Abide with us, as some translations have it. A practical invitation in that moment to come in, to be safe, to eat, to sleep, but also a profound spiritual invitation, conjuring up Jesus' image of the vine and the branches abiding in one another. From his final discourse with his disciples before his death in John's gospel, stay with us, abide with us. And it's this invitation into this moment of their lives that unlocks the door for Jesus to enter into the whole of the disciples' lives. Without those words of invitation, there is no shared meal. There is no moment of eyes being opened. But with it, the three sit at table. Bread is broken. Jesus is revealed. And Easter's extraordinary news has immediately to be shared. Christ is risen, the disciples declare. Different traditions in the church have perhaps tended to place the emphasis of this most famous of passages on the aspect of it that reinforces the most precious element of their Christian faith. Those of a more evangelical persuasion trust above all in the truth of God's word 
as his revelation of himself. And so it is this element of the passage, Jesus' engagement with the scriptures, that they emphasise. It's through Christ's expounding of the scriptures, such that Cleopas and the other disciples see Jesus in the light of the whole of the rest of the Bible, and the whole of the rest of the Bible in the light of Jesus. It's through this that they understand God's plan for his people, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, like them, as we prayerfully engage with Scripture through the intermediation of Jesus, we can start to understand the true nature of God. Understand his desire for relationship with us. And understand his plan for each one of us too. Conversely, those who would see themselves as having a more Catholic understanding of the Christian faith place greater emphasis on the sacraments, the outer signs of an inner spiritual reality. So they would see the moment at which Christ took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them in a Eucharistic echo of his same action at the Last Supper. And perhaps especially since this is the moment at which the disciples realise that they are in the presence of Jesus himself. They would see this as the sacramental heart of this encounter with the risen Lord. The Eucharist, communion as we share later, is what unites and sustains us as the body of Christ as we too journey on our road with him. And finally, those of maybe a greater charismatic or Pentecostal emphasis to their faith would perhaps see Jesus revealing himself to these two disciples through the fire of the Holy Spirit. As they look back on what's happened, the disciples realise that as Christ was um, opening the scriptures to them, their hearts, as Luke puts it, were burning within them. Through the activity of the Holy Spirit within them, the words of Scripture ignite their hearts. The Spirit unlocks for each believer a realisation both of the power of Scripture and of the grace of the sacrament. Whichever of these emphases we may choose to place on the passage, or indeed look to in our own Christian walk, it's to where we began this morning that we need to return in conclusion. But we had hoped remains just that, without the one all-important fact witnessed first by the women. Christ is risen. Jesus is alive. It's only then that we, like Cleopas and his companion, are able to say to the risen Jesus, stay with us, abide with us, inviting him into our lives and our hearts, and to see him work through scripture, through sacrament, and through the Holy Spirit, to transform us evermore into his likeness. In the words of the collect for today from the book of Common Prayer, slightly different 
from those of our common worship service, but both equally valid in their sentiments and exhortations. The collect for today says this. Almighty Father, who in your great mercy gladdened the disciples with the sight of the risen Lord, give us such knowledge of his presence with us, that we may be strengthened and sustained by his risen life, and serve you continually in righteousness and truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 